Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode three of the podcast where we look at movie scenes and analyze them in terms of the editing. Hope you're doing well. Tim, uh, cut that out. Hope you're doing well. Tyler, how are you? <laughs> doing a podcast? I'm doing good. You just went to Edit Fest, is that correct? I did yesterday. So um, I'm a little exhausted, but I'm going to try and uh, hide it by talking a lot. Okay, and mentioning it. Exactly. That's a good way to hide it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Edit Fest was cool. Uh, first time for me. What is Edit Fest? What is it, Sven? <laughs> It is an event where it's hosted by the ACE, that's the American Cinema Editors. That's sort of the elite group of all the big shots. Their main purpose is basically to bring people up, to help them, to mentor them, to support them any way they can to let people that are interested in editing open up some avenues for them to become editors. So, for example, they have an internship program that you can apply to. But they also have Edit Fest. And Edit Fest is basically one day of panels where they invite some of their members and some are non-members, just very accomplished editors, talk about their process, what inspires them, how they came up, all kinds of advice that they can share. Very cool. And that internship is an incredibly, incredibly exclusive thing to get into. If you get into it, I always say the odds are similar to the odds of getting into Harvard University, uh, probably even harder. I think they offer two, two or three a year. Maybe it's two. They started with two. Every once in a while, apparently they had three. There was one on the panel that said she was the third one, kind of the honorary member. Wow. And yeah, they had a specific panel where they invited editors that went through that program and are now working editors. And they basically said, once you're in that internship, it really opens up doors. So, I mean, they all oh, for sure. moved on to big projects after that. I mean, assisting for many years, but then eventually becoming editors on their own. Yeah. Now, just to kind of ground, just to give kind of like realistic expectations, how many years of assisting does it usually take to then become an editor? It's about five years is sort of what I'm getting. Yeah. And I think that's good to just kind of, for the expectations of a lot of film students and people just starting out, they're like, oh, I want to be an editor. It's like, well, you're going to work your way through the ranks. And we talked about the, you, I think in one of your videos, you talked about the example of the whiplash editor um, that yes. did a short film. And then when they got money for the feature, and then there's Zine Baker who worked with, you know, David Gordon Green on his first film, Jody Hill. And then, you know, then got bumped in the studio system by those directors. But if you don't have that relationship and you really want to be an editor, you are going to have to put your time in and really, really learn the craft. Because I'm sure some of what Sven's going to tell us is going to be about how impressive and experienced and knowledgeable about the craft of editing some of these editors he saw at the Ace event this weekend. Yes, you got to put your time in. And it's also initially that relationship between the assistant and the editor and then eventually it's that relationship between the editor and that director so there's a little luck involved but you you definitely get a head start if you do make it into into the internship program and i mean if you're serious about it you should definitely try it and if it doesn't work out try it again if it doesn't work out there are other options but at least this is one one thing you can do yeah, and then and Ace also just to clarify is not the editing union. That's right. a that's a common misconception. True. I was also going to mention I had I got so much inspiration from Edit Fest, and this is an event that you don't have to you don't have to be a member. I'm not an ACE member. Uh, I did get an ACE award nomination a couple of years ago, but I'm not a member, and I'm probably not going to be one for many more years. 
but you can go to edit fest anyone can go as i was saying it's very inspirational I, i got so many ideas for videos and also stuff we can talk about here on the podcast like scenes that i thought were amazing for example the editor from game of thrones his name is tim porter ace was there and he showed a scene that uh, was the battle of the bastards I have no idea what season that is or where that is. But now, just to clarify, Sven suggested we do that scene on this very podcast. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Sven was deep into Game of Thrones because what a great choice for a scene. And it comes up really late in the series. I guess he must have binged it since we last talked. <laughs> I, now I understand. I watched uh, the first season and a little bit. And then I just... Uh... But anyway, that scene is amazing. It's unbelievable how that is shot. It took them 25 days to shoot it, and it took them mm -hmm. another 25 days to edit. And I have a lot of cool inside information from that editor that just went through through that scene, and we can really take a close look. I hope it's on YouTube. Yeah, because we'll be looking at it in the next week or two. Is that safe to say? Yes. And um, there was another panel that I wanted to point out. The panel was called Lean Forward, and it was hosted by Norman... Yeah, Norm Holland, yeah, for USC. From USC, and I spoke to him afterwards, and uh, he's really. I want to do. I want to have a tour of his editing class at USC, and oh, he's very, very cool. open to that. But the reason why I mentioned this is, he invited all the editors that were part of the panel to prepare by mentioning a scene that inspired them early on in their career, or keeps on inspiring right now as they're working and um, mm -hmm. need that little push. And so each editor presented a scene there, and I thought there were a couple of scenes that could be really cool to take a look at. One, for yeah, example... I saw that panel last uh, two years ago, I think, and it was really cool. They showed a scene from The Right Stuff. Um, one of the editors from of The Avengers showed that, and it was kind of cool to see the overlap in, in their work. What, what did he show you guys? Uh, well, one of the scenes was from Double Indemnity, which is a film noir mm -hmm. by Billy Wilder really cool to look at it in terms of the editing because it's obviously a, in terms of the dialogue it's so sharp and witty and it's, i'm not going to say what the editing does there but it's amazing another scene that i thought was cool was terminator 2 actually the the scene when um, mm -hmm. when linda hamilton is uh, realizing that the terminator is a good guy and she's trying to break out of that asylum that she's in and he's helping her so mm -hmm. those are two scenes there are two more But uh, that's that's all I want to talk about right now. Okay, very cool. And then I'm trying to remember the name of Norm Holland's book that he wrote because it's a it's an incredible book about editing that's highly recommended. Because he has one called The Lean Forward Moment, but there's another one that he wrote. I don't. He wrote the Film Editing Room Handbook. Yeah, the Film Editing Room Handbook is it was a great like introductory tool because it was written when film editing was done on film well i'm curious what your takeaways are from the, from edit fest like oh, your two okay. big takeaways there was a panel with tatiana siegel i think was her name and she cut i tanya mm -hmm. and um, she talked about working with music and that that film has a lot of songs in there i'm an editor who loves to cut to music so i bring in music early i take it away but i i like to cut with it i like it to be inspiration She really went in-depth explaining that she doesn't do it that way, that she waits as long as possible with the music um, so that it doesn't influence the editing or hides certain things. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm going to do an episode about this, like how to work with music in, in editing. I agree with most editors who are purists and say don't cut with music. But nevertheless, uh, I think I still need to cut with music oftentimes to really um, push my creativity in interesting directions. And I think there's a good middle ground for that. And it's funny because when we first, very first talked about a podcast like this or doing YouTube episodes like this, one of the scenes I I was saying we had to do was the competition scene. There's a competition scene in Itania that I thought would be really great to talk about. So maybe we can circle back to that now. Totally. But that's super cool that you took that out of it. Now, uh, so we talked a little bit about EdFest, the importance of it. Now we were going to talk about a specific scene this week. Yes, and this is a scene that you picked. Uh, yeah, I sort of picked it. It was picked to me, as I find is the way. Again, we're not pulling these from things that we think are. We're not doing our own lead forward moments. We're we're bringing in scenes that have inspired us. We're really just going about, in my case, just <laughs> availability on YouTube. Uh, Sven had a great conversation with an editor that led to last week's clip uh, from 12 Years a Slave. Before that, we did Spider-Man just because it's the first one that came up as a full available clip. This Jurassic Park one is actually in reaction to a meme I was sent that kind of horrifying, offensive meme, the way it ends. But it was so successfully executed because it was leaning on (laughs) Jurassic Park, (laughs) the filmmaking of it, for that, that I thought it would be a good one to just talk about. And it's the moment when they first... They're in the park, and it's when they first pull up to the field of dinosaurs in the Jeep, and our focus is really on how that moment is built up and how so much of, a, of it is about the filmmaking that precedes the reveal of the dinosaur to such, such a greater extent than just, just the effect shot. So how do you want to do this, son? Do you want to watch through it, or do you want to change the form up? And The first thing we should do is talk about the movie and set it up a little bit, because... Maybe not everybody knows the film. So Jurassic yeah, Park... I'm glad we're doing that with this one, not <laughs> 12 Years a Slave. Jurassic <laughs> Park is a 1993... Uh, if you've sci- seen Westworld, it's the same writer, same concept. <laughs> Sorry, carry, carry on, Sven? Uh, no problem. So shot in 1993, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Michael Crichton. Author of Westworld. And David Sorry. Cobb. The film is set on the fictional island of Isla Nubla which is located off Central America's Pacific coast near Costa Rica. And so they created this genetically modified wildlife park with cloned dinosaurs. This is sort of the moment when our heroes see these dinosaurs for the, the very first time. Our heroes, that have it's been set up so well. It's not just getting to cheap effects or anything like that early on. There's a little tinge of horror in the first scene. But we really, it's to me, Jurassic Park's a horror movie on a grand scale. They really set up the importance. And I remember just seeing this meme that we're now watching the clip of, just how, like just the weight and importance of what this world meant to these characters had been set up like what dino- like for the for these two characters especially Sam Neill's character and Laura Dern to see dinosaurs it's been set up so strongly that it that's just all adding to the impact of the payoff of just this effect shot this unprecedented effect shot so should we take a look and describe what's going on in the scene have you never seen Jurassic Park man i've seen Jurassic Park yeah Okay, I just wanted to check. Um, Opening so, weekend. <laughs> me too. Didn't Spielberg come speak to your AFI class? Was it around that time or after? Uh, I'm pretty sure that was before the movie came out. Okay, but it was about that movie. Hmm. I don't know. I forgot. 
<laughs> so, so before we start it, just to recap what happens in the scene, it's the scene where the Jeep pulls up and we see Sam Neill staring at something off camera. We're pretty sure it's a dinosaur and the camera pushes in on him and Laura Dern's completely distracted. Everyone in the Jeep is, except her, is completely shocked by what's happening. But we're really getting to experience it through his eyes because we've set up how important this is to this character, what this could mean. And he kind of turns her head to look at it. She stands up and then we have the infamous reveal of what had previously been thought to be impossible, which is a shot of a brontosaurus walking along the grass that is always, I mean, just lived in my mind forever. Okay, cool. So we're going to play this in three, two. All that this started off was, was what precedes this was a shot of the grill of the Jeep, and we're pushing in on Sam Neill, looking at the dinosaur, and we don't know what he's seeing. I mean, we know what he's seeing, but we don't know what he's looking at specifically. And the thing to me that really jumped out watching this was how dedicated this shot was to the focal point in terms of everything that's set up is on the right side of the frame from when we push in on him to when his hand reaches over and turns her head for all the importance is and then it's not until the very end of it do we have the focal point change because she's on the right side of the frame and as she stands up the camera pan she moves to the left side as Sam Neill fills up the right side so we're now looking at the left side and we're perfectly placed to kind of follow the body of that Baranosaurus up because we're looking exactly where Spielberg wants us to be looking is at the bottom of it so we can trace it up and really get that experience. And, you know, it's an example of the filmmaking that doesn't go into the effect shot, but the filmmaking that goes into just setting that up. I mean, you know, of course we're talking about a movie that's essentially a horror movie, how so much of it's about building suspense and then paying it off. I just think it's a really, really great example of that uh, with this scene. And then, so, sorry, Spen, I kind of mowed over that with the thing I was trying to get out. So you're talking about this concept of eye-tracking, right? Where yeah, the, the eye eyes where the... tend to move towards the top right of the frame with every shot and every cut. I mean, with this scene. Right. Laura Dern is first on the left and then she's on the right. But we follow the hand over to her. That's yeah. true. Oh, yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So we are. That's what being jumped guided. out at me. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this shot? So we're moving in on Sam Neill, and then as he gets up, we're in this bird's eye view. It's a jib shot, and it it sort of booms up as he stands up in the jeep. Um, mm-hmm. That obviously is a very cinematic design shot. That's not just. Uh, a random thing that the editor came up with that was storyboarded or envisioned by the director. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in particular that stands out by doing it this way? I mean, that's almost like a reset. It's like a mini camera rise for entering Oz, right? And we're also going from the big thing to the personal thing, right? Is it also a tribute then? Are you saying that or it's just... No, I, I just, I don't know if it is, but it certainly has that effect. There's just so many things we can read into this stuff, right? It's like we're talking about a big grand scale film, but now we're pushing in on the personal element of it. There's just something stylistic about making something, like this is a big important moment, so do a big a big camera move in, in on this guy from yeah, and, this big and park to just a tight close-up. Sam Neill sort of strains himself towards the lens, making it all so more dramatic and then the way he like removes his glasses like he's shaking and he can't like it's not a clean removing the glasses they almost drop 
Um, yeah. There's a lot of acting in there. And it's interesting because now we're at the top right of the frame. And then we cut to Laura Dern and she's looking uh, in the opposite direction. And she's more right. center of the frame. But and our focus is with him, right? Yeah, we're, we're with him. So the and focal then, point's with him. Exactly. And then we cut back to him profile, not his face, just kind of like where his arm is by his hip. And then the arm moves over from the top right to the bottom left. And Laura Dern is revealed. And then as he turns her head, now she's in the top right on the next shot, looking, mm -hmm. looking off to uh, camera right towards the dinosaur. So yeah, all design. And then that ends at the end. She, she ends up on to frame left. Yeah, and she repeats now the movement that Sam Neill did earlier, and the camera repeats that same crane shot again. Mm -hmm. And then, only then, we get, like, the dramatic white shot. It's a pan from the Jeep over the shoulder of the Jeep, basically, to the tail of the dinosaur, and then panning up, booming up all the way to the head of the dinosaur in a, like, white shot. Yeah, and we know that when we cut to, because it's switching camera, it's, I mean, I guess breaking the screen direction too. When we cut to the dinosaur, we're now behind them, but we're also looking right where her face was, which is just on that Jeep that they're sitting in. So it's it lends that kind of magical moment of following up from them to seeing how huge this, this animal is. It's interesting that the reveal of the dinosaur sort of gets repeated. There's this one sweeping master that I just described. And then we cut away from it. Just a random shot almost towards the two cars, the two Jeeps. They get out of the Jeep and they walk towards the dinosaur. We're sweeping with them and we're seeing the tail again of the dinosaur and we're going back up. But now they're in the shot as well. And he's mm -hmm. like pointing at the dinosaur just like a little kid amazed <laughs> and then then we're bringing in the other characters that was their moment they had their moment and then we're continuing the story with uh, sir edinburgh and we see jeff goldblum in the background and then we're repeating this movement one more time we're cutting back to our two heroes and this now we're really low on them and mm -hmm. it's the same movement again from them pan and boom up to the dinosaur and now they're in the frame but we're like on the floor looking up at them and looking up at the dinosaur mm -hmm. uh, to me that reads like Spielberg found a way to really milk that moment so he found a master that he thought was going to be amazing and then he found three variations of them and each one is more dramatic like something is added to it the first one was a single white shot of this dinosaur the second one was with them in the shot and the third one was with them but it was a extreme low angle and then we're yeah. in a super white shot it's right. even bigger when the dinosaur like gets up on its hind legs and sam neil like almost jumps back because he doesn't know whether he's gonna get attacked or what's happening right yeah um, and that's great. I mean, actors are looking at tennis balls and yet, you know, finding ways to give it the nuance. And yeah. Looking back at this film now that it's been 20 years or more, um, how does the CGI hold up? 
What do you think? Well, I think, but that's the, I guess that's kind of the point. There's always a way I feel like to pull apart CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this holds up great, but again, it holds up great because the filmmaking allows you to extend that disbelief, right? Yeah. It's always going to look like a dinosaur because it's about the moment that's there. And I think if we were to compare it to something, the interesting thing to compare it to do would be like Ready Player One where you have a filmmaker like Spielberg where there's just so many more tools available and there's not as much concern in executing something like this. Ready Player One just feels like, well, I can do anything. And he does in in neat stylistic ways, but there's something, especially for a shot like this, because it was such like a groundbreaking effects moment in terms of, of CGI that just so much care went into it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure now there would be more pores on the dinosaur's skin or something like that, but... Yeah, I think what he got right and what still works today is that he really thinks about gravity. Everything has weight. These dinosaurs, he finds a way to make us feel how heavy they are. And that's mm-hmm. partially the, the movement feels right. Sometimes in, in CGI, the movement just feels weird, like cartoonish. The other thing is when that dinosaur moves, the camera shakes. You can feel mm-hmm. it could be there. So I think right. I think it, it, it holds up really well. Yeah. But I do think the thing for us to focus on just real quick at the end here is as editors, what can we take from this? Because it sounds like we're describing something that was just premeditated by the director, completely shot for shot. But the thing with Spielberg you want to keep in mind is every shot, I'm sure every angle on that scene of setting that up in some way could be used in its entirety to play the entire scene, just in terms of his camera movement and everything. I'm sure if we just stayed on Sam Neill the entire time until Laura Dern stood up into the shot from the very first shot, that would be a pretty good shot that would effectively tell the story. So as an editor with his work, I feel like you know, it, it just seems like, oh, well, what, <laughs> there's no room for editing. But I, I imagine with each of those shot there, shots, there was a lot of room and seamless movement within them to, to make any of those work and kind of choose, okay, well, which pieces of the puzzle do we want to make this be executed perfectly? I think there are a couple of things that the editor has to do here. One is shaping the pacing, the rhythm. Mm-hmm. How long do you hold these moments? How long can you really make it work so that it, that it feels real and it has that impact? I wish mm-hmm. I had a better word. The other thing is, I also noticed that with Sam Neill, his close-ups and also his whole body movement, like how he's falling over, how he's f- f- fainting, all that mm-hmm. is borderline bad acting. And <laughs> with the close-up and all that stuff, I think you have to go through a couple of takes to figure out what is enough. I mean, Sam Neill obviously is trying to tell us, wow, this is really a big deal for this character. Obviously, he doesn't see anything in the field. He has to just pretend. And there are shades of how big do you play this. And I I almost feel like now looking at it, he played it too big. Like it doesn't feel quite real. But it probably worked perfectly in the moment and way back then because it was a big deal. I mean, people were amazed when they saw that just as he was. But I, I do feel like that's where the editor comes in and makes sure that he shapes that performance just perfectly. Yeah. But also, I don't know. I mean, because I think when you know, like I just remember viewing it, that there's something about that performance. The reason I think you might be thinking, oh, it feels false is because 
we know he has nothing to be that afraid of because it's just a brontosaurus. But I think when you're first seeing it, like that little tremble of fear, one, it's legit. Cause if I saw an elephant, I might feel the same way. But th- I remember that moment being like, well, what is he looking at? Is it a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Like there's something that, you know, you're not so much paying attention to what we can now of like, well, why did he react that big? If it's just a brontosaurus, um, we're watching it. It kind of ends up working out. But But it's a good point. Yeah, I, I feel like I buy Laura Dern all the way. So <laughs> maybe it's just me that I've like... I'm, I'm watching this again. I think that's where the editor has tremendous influence on shaping performance all the time. And I, I recently read somewhere, somebody said every time an actor gets an award, they should really thank their editor because they yeah, play such a absolutely. huge part in shaping that performance and making sure that whatever they're pushing, whatever they're trying, that they don't go overboard or it's just too subtle. They have to... Just get it right. Oh, absolutely. And then on the same token, you know, an editor that gets a good performance, what a gift that is. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's the best. So it's a, a collaboration. We'll leave it to the viewers. What, did Sam Neill go too big? That's this week's question. And <laughs> did you know what Jurassic Park was before <laughs> we set it up? That's the other <laughs> Were you born in, in, before that movie came out? Yes, who are we speaking to? <laughs> okay, well, very cool. Specific takeaways for this episode, Sven? Definitely. I mean, looking at eye tracking, looking at uh, designing shots, repeating a moment to milk it, that's all uh, interesting tools you can have as an editor to to shape your big moments, your big reveals. So I'm mm-hmm. thank you for showing that scene. Yeah, thank you, uh, my friend who sent me the disgusting and uh, perverted meme. And I was like, this is such great filmmaking. And then the reveal of, of a naked man instead of a Baronosaurus was, uh, it really threw me. Cause I was now, how really can we look in. at the meme? We won't. Let's not support them. <laughs> Forget them. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we're, good. Jura- we're at the original Jurassic Park. All right, so thank you again for listening in. I hope it's uh, it's as much fun to you as it is for us. And we're making sense in terms of describing the scenes. Definitely let us know. One thing I wanted to say is I'm now going to have an RSS feed. So that apparently allows us, to, once you subscribe to the podcast, that it just automatically shows up in your iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you don't have to look for it. It's just there. And then when you go running or you're on your commute, just turn us on and listen to what we have to say. And thanks to Sean, our producer. Thanks to Curta for the music. And with that, I'll say goodbye and see you on the next one. Probably a little bit more editing on this one, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Ha, 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 ha.